0: Amen. We're going to talk about sinner versus saint, churchianity. That's our last wall. We want to pray about breaking down before we go into this next uh, season. Uh, I grew up in fear. I've told this before, but I really grew up with a lot of anxiety. I was a very shy person introverted child. I sat in the back row. I made my A pluses. I didn't talk to anybody at school. I had my little clique of friends that went to my church, and I was. I had to take Pepto-Bismol to take a test. I never played, uh, did public speaking. I didn't do anything like that and had no ambition to be a pastor or any kind of person that would be on a stage, and, and I, I didn't realize it, but I was captive by fear, and by being captive by fear, I was secluding myself from uh, behind all kinds of walls, personal walls, even walls in my church. And being a church person, a person who grew up in a, a traditional spirit-filled family, which I had great pastors and great parents who were all extroverts, I secretly became judgmental. I didn't even know it. I began to look at other people down. I began to get cynical. I, I was religious. And, and so I found out that I was an insider, I was an insider. I didn't even know that I was an insider, but there's people outside the walls and there are people inside the walls. I was an insider by nature, by fear, by religion. And Psalms 27 tells us, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? Well, I didn't have two things. One, I didn't have this burning bright light inside of me, even though I believe I was saved. There wasn't this... Uh, light of God, just the Holy Spirit power exuding from my life. That's one and two. I feared people. I, uh, uh, Pastor, no, I asked our youth last night, "What's your biggest fear?" I feared people. Number one, I feared uh, what seemed like a weakness, right? Like being picked last for the team or being asked to come up. And man, I remember a teacher calling. Now I was, I was a smart kid. I think I, I'm okay still today. I'm, I'm losing brain cells as I get older, but I, I, I like. I was good at math. I took calculus and and all that stuff, but when they would ask me to go to the board, we had these math races, Miss Georgia, and I would run to that board. I couldn't do it for anything. The slowest kid in the class would always beat me because I was so panicked by failure and by fear, by humiliation, by embarrassment of what people would think about me. And and as a teenager, I got the Holy Spirit came in my life in a powerful way, and God quickly was showing me he What you call shyness, I call pride. What you care, you, because why? I was really worried about what other people think more than what God thought. I was worried about what people would think of me, and that's called pride. And I was captive. What I thought was a weakness in my life really was a fleshly stronghold. It was a personal stronghold in my life that shyness was a form of pride, and what felt like weakness was really arrogance on my part. And John Piper said this. He said, every time we let fear hinder us in an opportunity to share the gospel, we are proudly regarding our emotions as a more trustworthy indication of the future than the promises of God. That, that every time I let fear keep me from talking about Jesus or talking to someone about Jesus, I'm saying that my emotions and their thoughts are more of an indication of the future than the promises of God, that God's not going to take care of me, that God's not going to get my back. And, you know, it's a hard thing today in the world to share the gospel. We're in one of the most uh, becoming hostile times. You know, there was hostile times in the Roman days and all this stuff, but in America, we've never seen it like today. It's one of the more hostile times for the gospel that many of us grew up with. Uh, People's perception of American religion is increasingly negative. But here's what I believe. There are still broken people in every neighborhood, in every school, in every workplace. There are still There's still a hunger for people all over the world who know that something is not right, that this world, something is broken in their life, and they are hungry. Even if they don't know what it is, they are hungry for something. And I don't want to let the perception of what America thinks about the church, or what my neighbor thinks about the church, or even my own hidden fears, keep me from reaching the people God's called us to do. Somebody say amen. So why is it, though, that so many people in the church today don't talk to people about Jesus? I think we got this on the screen. Uh, Why is it there are five things, uh, top five reasons George Barna, uh, a research institute for the church, Uh, says there are top of things. Number one is this. He says, uh, most Christians think, number one, I might make somebody mad. I might make them mad. My workers, 29% of Christians find themselves in this category. 29% of self-professing Christians say, I don't often share with someone at my workplace or my family or my school or my neighbors because I might make them mad. We know the environment is negative around us. Number two is this. I don't know enough. 17% 17% say, I haven't been trained. I don't know the words. I don't know the scriptures. And you know, here's the stats part of America today is many people are not attending small groups and we don't have Sunday school like we used to, where we teach people the Bible. And then people don't read it for themselves. So of course, 17% are going to say, I don't feel like I have enough words or backup. I don't even know what the gospel is. And I'll just be honest. As a young person who grew up in a, a church, man, we didn't go. We, I, didn't, I was at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for Monday night youth rallies. And until I was in my 20s, I don't believe I could give you a firm definition of what the gospel of Jesus Christ was. Why is that? Why is it that we don't have the clear cut, uh, this is what it is to be saved? Number three is they think, oh, well, they're going to make fun of me number one reason millennials and young people, they don't share the gospel is they don't want to be labeled a fanatic. I don't want to be the people that they talk about on on the news. I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to uh, alienate my friends or uh, who might be a homosexual or of a different religion. People at school, they make fun of me. Number four is this. I'm not perfect. I have a past. They won't listen to me because they know I made a mistake. Number five is this. All my friends are Christian. That's where I would have been growing up. And maybe even today. How many lost people do we know? How many people are we hanging around with? Who is there in my life that I, everybody I know goes to church? And we know that we're in one of the most religious regions of Louisiana here. And it seems like everybody goes to church, but we know that it's not true. And how do I, how do I break these barriers? You know, the average Christian, I believe, in America is living defeated. We're living powerless. The church in America is self-focused. We've become compromising, and we're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the result is... We have become divided within ourselves in so many churches, and we've become divided from a lost and broken world. Isn't that true? So many churches are divided not only within, they're divided from other churches, and they're divided from a lost and broken world because we've been so inclusive, so uh, inclusive, so self-focused, that we're worried about what the world thinks. We think about what we don't know. We're not into the Word, and we're worried about our people judging our past, and we're not making friends with non-Christians. And so we're divided. Tom Rainer said this, he said, I've never known a church member who is both evangelistic and divisive. You think about it, an outwardly, pers- uh, outwardly focused person who the lost is going to be gracious, they're going to be outwardly thinking, but a self-focused person is often divisive. He says, I've never known a church member who is both evangelistic and divisive. So why should we witness? Number one, Don't you want to bring glory to God? As a born-again believer, there should be something burning within us that say, man, I want to praise God. I want every... It's not that I just don't want people to go to hell. That's, That's a good part of it. I don't want people to go to hell. But at the same time... I want more voices to glorify Jesus. I want heaven to be so packed because he is so worthy that our number one motivation for witnessing is that God deserves the glory. He paid the price so that voice, that soul, that person should worship him. He deserves it. He paid for their worship. You think about it that way. He deserves the glory. Somebody say amen. Jesus said, it's going to be my father's will that you would bear much fruit and give him glory. So number one reason I should witness is because God deserves the glory. Number two is this. The number one reason, uh, number two reason is born again believers have the love of Christ within us. The Holy Spirit compels us with the love of God that I should love people. Heath Harris doesn't love very many people. Heath Harris is naturally not a compassionate and empathetic and loving person. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you can't help but love other people. And it should be an identification of how healthy we are as believers. Is there a love thing coming out of us? Number three. Number number three reason I should witness is I'm commanded to. If we were in an army, this would be a general order. It would say, commanding you. That's what he says. This is the great commission. That means that when a police officer is given a badge, what does it say often on their cars? To protect and serve, right? That's their commission. They have to go before uh, you know, their, their chief or their sheriff or whoever, and they swear them in, and they take an oath. Their oath, our oath before God is when he tells his disciples, he says, go and make disciples. I am commissioning you. Police officer gets a badge and a gun. We get the power of the Holy Spirit, the armor of God, the truth of the the word. And he says, this is what I'm giving you. This is your badge. This is your gun. Now I commission you. I've empowered you with authority. Now go. Now what would it look like for a police officer who never left the building and never got out of their police car, but even though they had a gun and authority, they never used it. That would be it would be pointless, right? So is a church who is not walking in the power and authority and purpose that God has for them. Whew. All right. Number four. Number four, the reason I should witness is because I know without Christ the world has no hope. Acts four twelve, there is no other name by which men can be saved, is but Jesus. Number five is that I've got the Holy Spirit who is going to empower me to be a courageous witness. He's going to give me the words to say. He's going to give me the thoughts to think. He's going to confirm his word with signs. Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe, meaning they are moving does you, do you hear me? He says, these signs will follow. What does that mean? That is action. They are moving. That as they go forth and preach the gospel first, God's going to confirm the word they preach with signs, with wonders, with healings, with miracles, with demons being cast out, with supernatural provision. But it's on a church who's left the walls and is moving into enemy territory. Amen? Amen. So this is what we're this is what we're about. I love what J.D. Greer said. He says we should not be measuring our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. Whew. We should not be measuring our seating, but our sending. What if think about it this way? If there was a church of thousand people, and only a hundred of them were going beyond the walls, their church is really one hundred. But we can take a church of 100 with every single person going out. We the same size church. Do you understand me this morning? It is all about this sending capacity more than the seating capacity. Jesus did more with 12 and 120 and 500 than all of the Jewish religion had done in thousands of years. Do you understand me this morning? It is about a people who say, God, I love you. I'm captivated by you. I have a heart for the lost. I've been empowered and commissioned with the Holy Spirit, and I am on fire for Jesus going to the lost. Do we have God's heart? Are we more fearful than faithful? So we're praying through some dividing walls this morning. Those things that separate us from God, from one another in a lost world. Look in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. All right, let's get into the scripture. I'm going to talk to you about outsiders just for a second. And how God is calling us in this next season to go beyond the walls. The Apostle Paul tells him in uh, Colossians uh, the book of Colossians he says guys this is who Jesus is man he starts off with he is the in the glorious image of God he is the uh, incomparable Christ he has transferred us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, there is no god like our God and he begins to tell them the gospel and what he's done how that you are a new creation in Christ and the old things pass away and he, he just begins to tell them about all the things that God has put in them and renewing their mind of the holy spirit and now he says in chapter 4 he's like guys now you have to take what you know about Jesus, what you've experienced in your heart, and go beyond the walls. He says, I'm going to tell you how to relate to outsiders. Everybody say outsiders. That's who we're going to. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Let's see what he says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up us uh, to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. What is that? And the mystery is the plan of God from the beginning of time, that Jesus Christ would come to the earth, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Even Paul had a problem with knowing what to say. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom, I say wisdom, Wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how you should respond to each person. So what does a spirit-filled life outside of the church look like? Paul is basically, and in sum it up, he's saying, be a kind of a person a prayerful person who is always looking for opportunities. And remember, Paul is saying, "This is the." I, I believe this so much. I'm being in prison for it. I'm being in prison for being a spirit-filled person beyond the walls. I mean, I, I believe in it so much. I'm going to be in prison for it. And he says, "Pray for how we should speak." It's a person who's praying for how they should speak. Who's so captivated by Jesus that this is a 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I am thinking through and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, it's, all, it's an all-in kind of a life. It's all about Jesus. And so our question is, am I listening? Am I looking? Am I maximizing every opportunity that would come my way for the gospel? Let me give you five things today about going beyond the walls. Because here's, here's what I would be saying right now. I'd be like, but Pastor man, I'm scared. I don't know what to say to people. I don't have it all together. I, I have fear in my life, or man, I don't have the right words. My testimony is not all put together. Maybe I'm still struggling with some things. That's okay. There's some, it's okay to have questions. People, maybe maybe people aren't asking you about your life, and maybe you need to have some Holy Spirit uh, a light shining through you. Maybe we need to look at our way we behave and our attitudes. Maybe it's our social media. Even if people looked at me, did they see something worth asking about? And the number one thing beyond the walls is this. Number one, he says, be praying. Be a praying person. He even says a fervent praying person or an enthusiastic praying person. He says a devoted. That word means fervent and enthusiastic. It means I have a fervent and enthusiastic prayer life that when I get up in the morning, it should be Holy Spirit what do you want to do today? Holy Spirit, let me do the will of the Lord. Jesus, what are you speaking to me? Holy Spirit, what, let me, my ears be open. Let me see the world the way you see it. Holy Spirit, speak very clearly. Let nothing be louder than your voice. Holy Spirit, anoint my hands to only touch the things you want me to do today. Holy Spirit, anoint my feet only to walk the places Jesus has for me to walk. God, give me your heart that I would break for people as I walk through my community and my workplace today, that I am sensitive to your heartbeat, God, that a person starts their day off devoted to listening and looking with an attitude of prayer. And that'll go out through your whole day, and then when you get to the bed that night, you say, God, thank you for today. I'm giving you praise for what you did do. And God will give you enough each and every day to do what he's going to have you do that day. I believe that. Amen? He's going to give you exactly what you need that day to do what he's called you to do. So am I praying every morning for opportunities for the lost? Because we can get in our, I've got to get my coffee, i got to get my Pop-Tart, i got to get out the door, got this to do today, that to do today, but what about God's agenda? What if God wanted you to stop what you're doing and drive all the way across town, be late for your work, or miss an opportunity because you hear His voice so clearly that it would change somebody's life for eternity? Can I stop the routine in the middle of Walmart, going down the cereal aisle, trying to get through and get to that self checkout where I don't have to talk to nobody, right? And I don't have any opportunity to witness anymore in Walmart because I'm talking to a computer that never works. But, but right? I mean, we're so go, 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 go into the post office, get in and get out. But God, could God just show up at any moment that I'm a prayerful person hearing his voice? Somebody say amen. Amen. That's where we're at. Number one, we got to be a praying church 24 hours a day. God made me a praying man. Number two, be an example. People may never read the Bible, but they're going to read your life. They may never open that Gideon textbook in that hotel, uh, or they may never find the, the words on your Facebook posts and really apply them to your life. They maybe never read those scriptures on Facebook and really take them in, but they will see you every day at work. They'll see you at your home and your how you mow your yard and how you talk to your kids and how you treat your wife. Somebody is always watching. There's an old hymn that, that we used to sing in my tradition growing up. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And I'm talking about the thing on your, your dollar bill. But but there was a every step that you take. That great eye as a week. There, how many people know that song? There's an all-seeing eye watching you. Somebody, even God, is always looking. He's, there's somebody watching how you respond when somebody at your work stabs you in the back. There's somebody watching. Not only our teenagers are watching, somebody, uh, your kids are going to invite friends over and they're going to see what a godly man and a godly woman look like. They're going to see you pray before you do your suppers. They're going to see you talk about Jesus. They're going to notice what kind of shows you've been watching on Netflix. They're going to see all the little details and talk about the compromises that we do. Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, We should lead a quiet, hard-working life and represent Christianity well. That means I should have a good reputation as a good, hard-working man or woman at my job. Because if I'm a lazy bum, that's going to represent the gospel poorly. Can I be honest? If you're a gossip, it's going to represent the gospel poorly. Everything in your life represents Jesus Christ. Every habit you have, every uh, popped off word that you say, that he's saying be an example. The reputation of the gospel of Jesus Christ depends on you and me. He says, we should walk worthy of such a high calling. I shouldn't take it for granted that God's son laid down his life, gave me his very Holy Spirit and said, continue the ministry that I started. It's on you and me. It's a high calling. It's bigger than any job or position, even the president of the United States. It is more important to be a Christian in Gina, Louisiana than the president of the United States. Do you believe that? It is a calling from the divine Most High God. Creator is on you. That means I want to lay down fleshly attitudes. I want to put away desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be something different in my community. He says be like salt, something that's going to flavor that gumbo or that chili rather than being flavored by it. Right. Salt affects things. It changes the environment. And so when I go in my workplace, they should say, man, that person, they don't gossip. They don't slander. They don't talk about people. They're always happy. There's always something about them. And they would say, what is the reason for that hope and joy you have? And you can say, well, let me tell you about Jesus because of who he is. He makes me who I am. Somebody say Amen. So be real, be natural, be relating to others, not this mechanical script or Sunday school quotes. Just be an authentic example in the world around you. That's number two. Number three is this, be gracious. He says it's going to be seasoned with salt, but it's going to be a gracious thing. You know, in your workplace, in your community, and as we step out along the walls, we're going to encounter the immoral We're going to encounter the covetous. We're going to encounter the adulterers. We're going to encounter the drug addict. We're going to encounter people who have done so many things that they aren't proud about. And those people, some are going to like us and some are not. They're going to be religious people that for sure don't like us. Let me tell you that. Uh, But what does uh, Peter say? He says, guys, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing repay the evil cast at you. I should be around that person at work who is such a hard person to be around or maybe in our families man they just irritate the fire out of you and they stab you in the back and they talk about you and they probably post about you on social media but it says just bless them in Jesus name. Make it irritating. One part Paul says heap burning coals on their head and just make it so they just get more irritated because you're just more and more nice. You're just more and more nice. You're just more and more blessing on their life because you know the Bible says this too. That we are called not to judge the outsider, but we are in fact called to judge the insider. In the church, that's where we can judge and encourage one another and rebuke one another and correct, but I'm not called to judge the world. There's only one judge, that's Jesus Christ. He's not come back for judgment yet. He had died to save the world. So when I encounter a person in the world, I'm not going to judge them for their tattoos or their earrings or all the bad checks they've written and how they stole grandma's jewelry. I'm going to say, you know what? I know. You know this now. Sin has a consequence. You know this. The world knows it. The broken know it. Sin has a consequence. But let me tell you something. There's there's more than a band-aid for this situation in your life. There's more than just some quick fix solution. There is a Jesus, a God who's send his son to die for you to take away the curse of sin in your life to rebuild the bridges you've burnt to make your life new again there is a hope in one man one God and that's the message that's the message and in in this time you know sometimes we're always quick to fix people and that's God's job too so as I'm gracious you know one of the things the best things you can do to a coworker, a friend or a neighbor is just simply listen to their story in grace And not judge them for all the things they should have done, right? You say, man, if you just had some common sense, that would have made a lot of sense. You know, you could just, if you just had some common sense. And how many people know it's not common, right? But if they just had some common sense and you want to judge them and say, well, if you do this and you do that, just, if I would just listen, listen to the brokenness, listen to the hurt, even listen to the circular arguments they have, they just keep going around to the same thing and say, you know what? I can't fix all that, but I know a God who can make all things new. I've got a Jesus who has changed my life. And here's my story. And I want to be gracious because God has been gracious to me. That while I was a sinner, he died still yet for me. Number four is this. Be doing something. Just be doing something. He says, walk with wisdom towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. One translation says, redeeming time. You know what that literally means in the Greek? It means buying back time. Uh, it's not the share song, if I could turn back time. It's, it's that I could take time, if I could buy it at the gas station, and I would pursue it and own it and buy it and take it back. It means I'm not just waiting for opportunities to come and somebody to ask me to serve. I'm uh, actively looking to take an opportunity and making the most of every moment. My biggest regrets in ministry and being a a Christ follower thus far has been the times that God has told me to do something and I didn't do it. Those moments haunt me, and not in a bad way. They challenge me that, man, I missed it that time, and I missed that lady that I was supposed to talk to, and I missed that student when God said, go pray for them. I should have went across the street and prayed for that person. There have been many times I have made a mistake. But that challenges me to make the most of every time, to be more sensitive to his voice and say, God, if I'm walking down the street, Lord, is there, do you want to say anything to this person? And as I'm at the checkout counter, God, and you know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not the right time. But if I'm checking out or if I'm talking to the postman or the UPS guy or, or we're talking to the person in the street, you're at the red, I don't know, you're at the pizza place and at the buffet line. God, do you want to say anything to this person? Just ask a question. And if he doesn't say anything, move on. But I can make the most of every opportunity to be doing something. The Bible says everything we should do should be for the glory of God. That means for me, that means I can get involved in a church ministry like our youth or kids. Uh, We could go to a small group, and our small groups every month are serving our community. That means I can invite a non-Christian over to our church family nights, our movie nights, our family events that we have at our church. That means uh, most importantly, though, I can hang outside the walls with non-Christians. That'd be my neighbors or our family members or people at my work. I should invite them over uh, to dinner or to go to the movies with them. Or I should go to their kids' ball games and show that I'm invested in their life. Or I should be uh, inviting them. Uh, to my kids' birthday parties, and I should, if they give me an invitation to go to their kids' birthday parties, I should go. Even if it's going to be around a bunch of people that don't look like me, act like me, or behave like me, that I could be salt and flavor that environment for the things of God. Be an example. We've got to be around them. That means I want to share my testimony at every opportunity. And every gift I have, I want to use it for the glory of God. If you do art, do art for the glory of God. If you do music, do music for the glory of God. If you are a generous person, be generous for the glory of God. If you are an encourager, a person who can exhort people, do that for the glory of God. If you have the gift of helps or administration, or if you're just really good at lawn care, do that for the glory of God. Every person has a part beyond these walls, that you can do something for Jesus Christ. And lastly is this, be ready. Be ready. We should be looking for opportunities, but sometimes opportunities will find us. He says in one place, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. That Be ready at every moment to talk about Jesus to anybody who will listen Again, I don't want to be so caught up in my life that I miss these opportunities. It was, uh, oh, I guess it was about 10 years ago. I was on the university campus, and I think I've shared this before, and I was over the bookstore. I was one of the leaders in the, the bookstore. We served 28,000 students' textbooks, and one day right before I was going to spring break or summer break and going back home, they gave me this young little Catholic boy who was coming, he was a 4.0 major in chemical engineering, and his goal was to uh, lead, uh, go to nuclear power plants. He was going to run nuclear power plants, and he had a full ride, an intelligent, bright young man, and he comes, and we're shrink wrapping these textbooks, and I'm teaching him how to shrink wrap, and every person at that point in my life, I had learned that every person that if I got one-on-one with somebody, we're going to end up somehow on Jesus. It's going to come to it, whether it might be a day or two, but we're going to talk about him. And little did I know this young man had a hunger. He had gone to school questioning religion and God and what was it all about. And we began to talk, and I invited him to our campus ministry, and we began to talk, and he began to ask questions over a week or so. We began to talk, and and I said, hey man, I'm not going to be here, but you go to that ministry. Our ministry's on Tuesday nights in the, in the student union and and go there. And, and sure enough, he did. I followed up with my ministry. They said, yeah, he came, and he got plugged in, and he's coming. And a year would go by. And he would be in my small group, and another year he would be in my small group, be baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, in my house. Actually, he would uh, be uh, touched by God in my house, and we'd have another prayer night, and he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit in our small group. And it would go another year or so, and he'd be called in the ministry. And that young man today is a missionary in Indonesia with his wife and his new baby. Because if we could just say, God, what are you saying? I can. I'm shrink wrapping for Jesus. Come on. We can do anything if we would say, God, let me be an ambassador. Don't keep Jesus inside the walls. Talking about him at the pool, at the park, at the ball game, while you're working, while you're fishing, or with your friends. Talking about him at Walmart. And don't make it complicated. It's simply the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for my sin. He rose again on the third day, and now he's coming back Again. That is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his soon coming. If you know that, you can lead somebody to Jesus Christ. If you have a testimony of what he's done, it is a mystery to the world, but it has been revealed that people are lost in sin, but Jesus Christ has come. And I'm going to end with this. You can say, but Pastor man, I am still fearful you know what i am too it's nervous it's it's faith you have to have faith to say god i don't have the words to talk to this person i don't have the power i am fearful but you know what? it keeps me humble and it keeps me relying on one thing holy spirit i need you and as i step out in faith As you do that, trust the Holy Spirit power is going to come in your life. He says, don't worry about in those days what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you in that hour what to say. You just be obedient. And it's like if we had a packet of seeds. The gospel is the seed. We are just to be seed sowers. God's the one that's going to do the growth. He's the one that provides the rain. I'm just responsible to sow the seed. Everywhere I go, Be a church beyond the wall, sowing the seeds. And uh, let's pray today. God, maybe you are fearful. Maybe you're shy like me. Maybe you've got a past that you can't get over. Maybe there's things in your life that are walls. Maybe you're praying through some things even this morning. Say, God, I need the Holy Spirit confidence and power. He says he loves to give good gifts to those who ask. He loves even more to give the Holy Spirit to those who are hungry and thirsty for Him. Say, God, help me. I can't do this alone. And you can't do it alone. And not one person in here can lead a person to Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit is involved in drawing that person and giving you the right words to say. This is not something I'm asking you to do by yourself. I'm asking you to be humble and broken and say, God, I can't do it. But you can. God, we can't... Church, we're about to go into the devil's territory, stepping out of religiosity, stepping into an uncomfortable place, be an example to other churches. We've already had demonic attacks and opposition on every front throughout these next last three months, but I can tell you the stories of God's faithfulness each and every step of the way. God is in control. He's got this whole thing figured out. His son is coming back soon. He knows how to rescue every person, every sheep that He calls out and knows His voice, every person who's called by His name. He's going to rescue them. We're going to be caught up in the air to be with Him one day soon. But until that day, Holy Spirit, empower us to be a church beyond the walls, to be reconciled on that side of the cross together, to be in unity, walking by faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand all across this room. If you're here today, and you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not have a hope with with God, if you were to die today, you don't don't know that you'd have peace with God. If you were to die in this very moment, can you say with 100% certainty that I would be together with Jesus, that my heart is right, my soul is right, I am His, I feel and identify in my heart that there is a Holy Spirit can cry out, Father, Father, I know there's something alive within me. If you don't have that hope, if you don't have the Holy Spirit identifying within you, right now is the moment for you to make it right with Him. And it's simply this, if we would confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to cleanse us of any unrighteousness in our hearts. It's not a prayer you pray with me. It's a prayer in your heart. That right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, Christian of decades on or a person who's just walked in here today for the first time, do you know Jesus? Is He alive in you? Do you have peace with God? And we can say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I repent of all my sin, I turn from my own knowledge, my own control, my own understanding from doing life by my own good works and power. I need a savior. And I am trusting my life upon the word of God and on the cross of Christ, that I believe that Jesus came, that he died, he rose again, that his work on the cross was enough for me. And now I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, that I can live a life empowered to do his will. You believe that, you pray that. You can trust right now in this moment the Holy Spirit's going to awaken your heart. You're going to sense something new. I want you to continue to pray until God moves in your heart and continue to pray and get everything out of your life. You begin to pray and confess everything you can until you sense a Holy Spirit moment in your, in your life right now. And if you're in this room, you say, Pastor I am. I'm captivated by fear. If you were to tell me to go to a door or talk to a stranger today, I would, I would have a panic attack. I'd freak out. And you say, Pastor, I need that Holy Spirit confidence. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. You just say, hey, that's me. Pastor, can you pray for me in this right now? I want to I be able to talk to a coworker, family, or friend about Jesus. You just raise your hand and say, I'm praying right now. That's me. God, see my hand for the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say. Amen. Many hands. Lord, you see these hands. God, we are saying, Lord, we are not enough. We cannot do it apart from you. But Holy Spirit, help us to do what we can do. And that's pray every day to walk by faith. Look for opportunities. And when we step out in faith, Holy Spirit, may we be so in touch with you that you give us the words to say.